everyone, and welcome to another exclusive podcast from Pituitary World News. This is Jorge Fascinetti. The third podcast in our series on drug development touches on the effort that industry is making to partner with patients to understand needs, preferences, expectations, and attitudes, and to develop insights that would result in better drugs and better therapies. In our conversation with Stephanie Kelly, Grenetics Director of Patient Advocacy, we discuss her effort to, as Stephanie puts it, give the patient a place at the table. We talked about listening to the voice of the patient, the opportunities and challenges of engaging patients, and the efforts that they're making to really include the patient perspective in their work. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so I'm here with uh, Stephanie Calais. Yes. Is that, did I pronounce that right? It, uh, I don't know. Sometimes it's Calais, sometimes Calais. But, but Calais. people say both, yes. Okay, so how do you say it? Um, I say like Kelly, but anyway, but people say Calais, so Okay, yeah. so I'm I here with, with Stephanie Kelly. Okay, there you go. Who's a director of patient advocacy for Chronetics. Yes. A very interesting part of the world these days. Yes. No? So, and because there's so much discussion of uh, patient-centric programs and using patients' uh, insight for the development of drugs and therapies and putting the patient in the middle. So tell me a little about how Grenetics approaches this part of the business and any insight that you can... uh, you can uh, share with us on that. Sure. But it's not competitive. Yeah, that's not competitive information. No, um, it is really interesting. Um, I, you know, Kinetics is, we are, um, we have one compound that is in um, phase two testing right now, and um, which is being studied in patients with acromegaly, and that's our CRN. So that's, yeah, CRN. Zero zero eight oh eight that we've yes. been chatting about. Yes, we all yeah. end up calling it just eight oh eight because yeah. otherwise well, let's call it's not we'll it's call easier. it eight oh eight. But so we have one product that's actually you know being being studied and evaluated in patients right now, and then in our pipeline, um, everything else is really in the, either the development phase or is preclinical. So nothing else has really been studied in patients yet, or in, even in phase one we've talked about you know, as healthy volunteers. So. Um, so as far as, you know, I'm, I'm in my role as, um, in patient advocacy could seem really early, right? Um, we're not necessarily working with patients yet, right? We have one study where we are, um, but Kernetics and much like many other pharmaceuticals, and I'm very excited and glad that we've got leadership that believes that the patient should really be at the center of everything we're doing. Um, I wanted to make sure, I mean, my position um, was, was established and created relatively early to make sure that we are doing just that and making sure that we are putting the patient at the center of everything that we're doing at Chronetics and then also the patient has a seat at the table. And what I mean by that, when we, you know, there are oftentimes we'll have a big meeting and we're discussing things that happen and it's my role and responsibility to make sure that um, I'm representing the patient's voice. And um, when I think about patient advocacy and how do you do that, it's not just, I mean, I don't necessarily look like, think like, or act like some of the patients that we're trying to help, especially when we look at different 
um, rare disease states, and we're looking at acromegaly. We're you know looking eventually into Cushing's and to um, hyperinsulinism for pediatric patients. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not a child. I'm, I don't have Cushing's, so it's my responsibility. And and actually, I love it. So it's my treat too to get out to get out and speak and work with patients. And so that might be in various venues. So it might be at a patient conference or at a patient support group or work with patient leaders. So even though you haven't done uh, a, you know, you, have, you haven't had formally a patient uh, re- re- surveys, you are uh, spending a lot of time with patients in different in, in, the, in these different venues that you... Yes. So even though you don't have a drug yet that needs... Right. That at, you're at that stage... Right. ...where you need the patient insight. Well, so, and interestingly enough, so yes, yeah, so right now there's a lot of... Um, if there's a patient meeting somewhere, we want to try to be there for... Um, and, and we don't have a, a product to market to patients right now. Um, so it's not about... Right now it kind of takes that, that marketing component out. It really is to be there to listen and um, understand, you know, we at Crenetics, the entire point of our being here um, is really that we believe that there is an unmet need in rare disease, mm-hmm. and that is we are trying to design compounds that will satisfy a portion of that unmet need. Yeah. And so, so we want to make sure with patients that that actually unmet need, that those match, not just what we perceive as their unmet need, but that it really is. So... As you, even though you're not using it, you know, the input, you're not using it in, in your daily work yet for any specific drug. Um, so we will. Yeah, so, but you will. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So right now, so, actually, one thing we've, um, that we've done here at Kinetics, and we've created um, patient leadership councils and um, to work with, that work with us. And so right now we have one established, and that's um, working with patients with acromegaly. And that way, do you want me to tell you a little bit about that? Yeah. Okay. Um, the way that that came about is, um, you know, we're not necessarily soliciting. We worked with a patient advocacy group, Acromegaly Community, and um, they sent out a message to um, their members uh, of that group here in the U.S. Um, to see who might be interested in participating. And we, and I actually interviewed, um, we had about 40-something patients that raised their hand mm-hmm. and wanted to participate. Mm-hmm. And so we did interviews and kind of did a, a mix of different um, range of diagnosis, people that had been diagnosed for 15 years and people that had just been diagnosed. So wanted a range of experiences and men, women from different geographic areas. Um, and what we're doing is having monthly calls with them to really um, understand different issues. So, so um, those patients are under like non-disclosure. So they have a non-disclosure agreement so mm-hmm. they can, um, we can share some information that may not be public knowledge yet. So how do you incorporate that into... Um, I mean, how do you get the information? Is it are there surveys? Are there interviews? Are there just informal chats? So right now, what we've done, or done it, they're informal chats. So just a conference call. So a monthly okay. conference call, um, and we'll have an agenda. That here are a couple things like our last call, which was our first call. Um, we talked about what were the unmet needs um, in acromegaly, 
in the okay. community of Acromagaly. We also talked about kind of defining what does good look like. Mm-hmm. Um, so for so often in, in, in clinical studies or even clinical practice, a physician or, you know, a marker, a bio, you know, there are so many... Um, you might have a, a, a lab result tells you what good looks like, but we really want to hear what does the patient think good looks like mm-hmm. um, from a patient perspective. And then lastly, just talked about clinical trials. Um, what do you know about clinical trials? What do you wish you knew about clinical trials? Just to understand um, what is the knowledge out there and see how we can improve that and see what educational opportunities yeah, are there. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Is you've been so you've been informally and now one time formally yes. you've been talking to a lot of people. Yes. Is there anything that you thought you knew that you didn't? <laughs> or was there a lot of things? Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of things. Yeah, but uh, was there anything that kind of you said, Oh boy, this is interesting. Um, so, I think that the the and even when I have discussions, I think it's so evident um, how much education is needed. And when I say that, it's it it it, it runs the whole spectrum from um, you know when you talk to everybody has a story and everybody mm-hmm. wants to be heard. And um, so sometimes I think patients when they're um, especially with rare disease, the road to diagnosis is often a long one and a difficult one, and they've been to many different doctors, healthcare practitioners, Eastern medicine, Western medicine, whoever, mm-hmm. to try to find out what's at the root of what's going on. And so they haven't been heard, right? And um, so I think there's, um, they want to, in terms of education, educating other practitioners that could help them reach that diagnosis sooner. Right, so you think of there's many a different physicians that they've seen and were given either wrong diagnoses because, especially with rare disease, someone may not be familiar with using acromegaly. Um, they may not be familiar with acromegaly, and so they may have diagnosed them with something else until they finally got to someone and understood the root cause of what was going on. Is there any was, was there anything that you learned again in the informant that surprised you? Yeah. What was it? Um, I don't think I've been surprised. I, I guess I'm surprised when I listen to the patients on, you know, on our call who are sharing with us and then also just in, in speaking at different groups, I'm surprised that the patients, even after they get a diagnosis, don't feel hurt, that they feel like their physician may not believe them, that they still are experiencing symptoms mm-hmm. um, or that they're still, they still don't feel good. Um, that even though their um, you know their markers or their lab values mm-hmm. may seem closer to normal, um, that they don't feel great yet. So, do you think there is a an expectation problem or a problem of not? So, so I guess the question is. Is the patient expecting to feel better when indeed that's not not going to happen? Yeah, I know. I think it's or you know what is it. Is it that the physician doesn't understand the... I think both. Um, I think sometimes, um, we were talking about this, is that when you're first diagnosed, a lot of times um, you might be in a state of denial, right? Or that when you're first diagnosed, um, expectations aren't set adequately. I had a lot of, several people tell me that, that they were told they would have their tumor removed for this is again yeah. around acromegaly but yeah. they would have their tumor removed and then they would be cured 
and that wasn't the case. It's the usage of the word cure, maybe. Right, and that for that situation, for sure. But they also weren't explained, I mean, for so many people that they are going to experience a new normal after any chronic chronic illness diagnosis. And so that new normal a lot of times probably isn't walked through very well with patients. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. where a lot of support groups come in where they can, you know, usher each other through that road, you know, post-diagnosis. But then also I think physicians or other members of a treatment team um, may not fully understand everything with acromegaly, especially, or any rare disease. Yeah. So I know we talked a little bit about this, which yeah. was the idea that of the related conditions that are part of acromegaly that mm-hmm. are very different from from patient or from, from acromegaly patient to acromegaly patient. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I mentioned to you that uh, physicians often describe, Dr. Blevins mm-hmm. often describes that, you know, it says that you can say you can have 150 people in a room with acromegaly and 150 different disease states. Right. And that creates a whole set of problems for my, what may be perceived as a an issue with acromegaly when indeed is an issue with you know, a related condition like arthropathy or, you know, heart disease or whatever uh, that comes, or sleep apnea, what comes with acromegaly. Right. So what's your view on that? Is that something that needs to be looked at or... Well, I think there's so many things. Um, And again, they're all opportunities for education in that, um, but it's kind of where do you start, right? Um, and, and that's a neat thing that I love being here at Kernetics is that we're looking at the big picture, not just, um, you know... Well, you're obviously looking at related conditions. Right, you're looking not, at related If you're looking at quality of life, you have to look at that. Right, yeah. and that... So a lot of that is education around, you know, what other physicians might somebody with acromegaly be seeing? Who else might they yeah. be seeing? And so do we need to... Um, is there some sort of campaign or... Is there something that can be done to educate them about um, if they see a patient who, you know, comes in with cardiomyopathy or has, you know, joint issues or, um, you know, is there an orthopedist that understands that these conditions aren't happening in a vacuum, but they're tied to a patient's acromegaly. And so there may be unique issues to deal with. And it really is, I think, empowering patients to be able to have that discussion, mm-hmm. right? Because we're all going to own it a little bit. Um and um, it'll be a neat it'll be a neat thing to watch unfold. Mm-hmm. So um, I know that there are a lot of um, you know with different we're working with different disease states and and there are it's amazing to see patient leaders step up. Mm-hmm. I think so often patient leaders usually um, have their own. Uh, experience tied to that disease so it might be because they either have had they have diagnosed with acromegaly themselves or with Cushing's or pituitary tumor they had someone that that had an experience and so they have they're championing a cause Mm -hmm. and with a lot of heart right and so um, it's amazing to see those leaders are in place and what they'll be able to do I love to see that they're now it's more partnering with industry because I think that hopefully they can all make a more powerful stance, yeah. right? I mean, oh, sure. as with a sure. larger group and a larger sure. voice. Sure. Um, and so it's really more of a partnership working together than um, 
you know, having whether it's pharma or, or a physician or whoever, you know, dictate here's how things are going to be. It's really a partnership and working together so that we come up with a product that really is satisfying, mutually satisfying an unmet need yeah. and working together to get there. Yeah. So when you think about, um, let's talk a little bit about engagement yes. and engaging people. So yes. my theory is that engagement in the rare disease community of patients is really low. Mm-hmm. And we have a very large group of patients that are do, going about their lives, treat, getting their treatment, not engaging in any... And we see it a little bit through pituitary world news because of the how many people come through the site, spend sufficient time in the site reading things, mm-hmm. but not engaging. So even though I know what the IP address of that computer is, I don't know who that person is. And that is at least 60% of our audience, which tells me that there is this huge silent majority of people that we need to figure out how to engage because we're just listening to the same people all the time. Mm-hmm. So the groups, that are the people that are, but even, even in the good, excellent you know, advocacy groups, not everybody's engaged, even though a group may have, you know, 35, 3,500, 4,000 members. There's maybe 200 members that are constantly, that are the ones that are that, in, totally engaged to help. Right. And that, do you think that may give us a biased kind of a look at who the patient is and what the, is there, is there a true actual need out there? Or, you know, do we, are we getting a real true picture of it? I'm asking the question because it's something that we grapple with all the time. Right, don't know. As we think about, yeah. you know, the types of things that we're serving up on pituitary wellness. And I'm wondering if you think about the same things as you talk to patients well, all I over the world. Well, I definitely, yeah, I think that, um, you know, I we tried to kind of look at some of the, if you have some, if a group of like 60% of your of your people that visit Pituitary World News yeah. are not necessarily engaging other than just clicking through and reading something. I mean, obviously, you have an opportunity to miss some things, right? Um, but when you look at the big, the whole, the big picture is that not everyone is outspoken and wants to share, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. And so some people um, may not feel comfortable sharing or comfortable interacting. I think um, having multiple different ways for people to engage or interact, and sometimes that first interaction is the most difficult. I think it depends on where somebody is in their um, kind of their diagnosis mm-hmm. timeline, right? Mm-hmm. If somebody how, how long is, you've had the disease, how long you've had the disease, they are. Yeah, yeah, and maybe maybe you don't even know what you have yet, and you're searching for answers, and so you don't really feel comfortable engaging yet because you don't even know, yeah. right, to what conversation to have or what questions to ask. Yeah. But I think it's so important for um, to have multiple ways for people to connect. Mm-hmm. And whether that's some people, um, whether it's a Facebook group, some people aren't even on Facebook or um, so. No, that's, I think there's a minority. Yeah. People. Actually, it's, it's and very, when you look at maybe numbers worldwide, it's a very small minority. Right. And we tend to think that that's the universe. And, right, and it's and not. And it's not. So, and I see it, it's not only just, the, but even the people that visit us constantly mm-hmm. don't engage. Yeah. So, well, so, maybe they don't. I mean, it's creating ways in so many ways with social means. The, the internet has helped yeah, us yeah. be able to engage yeah. so much. 
However, it's also it's it's information being pushed or you're pulling information, right? Yeah. There's not necessarily a way for dialogue. I think it's so important, and I personally am a big believer in some of the like live programs, whether it's a patient symposium or a chance to just to have face-to-face yeah, conversation. Yeah, and meet other people. And, and meet like other people. people. And just to sure. see people and, and have, sometimes it's the information that you're getting from a conference, but also the, the opportunity to sit across from somebody who has had some of the same experiences that you mm-hmm. have. And um, that that is so valuable. And, and just that sense of community. Sometimes yeah. with rare disease, that's a challenge because people aren't in the same immediate vicinity or the closest patient may be an hour and a half away. So um, when those opportunities arise, I think they're they're super important. And I'm a big believer in that. So sometimes with, in the day and age of social media and the Internet, we've lost actual community. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big piece of um, working well, it's through. it's also easy today yeah. to get information without having to engage. Your information is there. It's right. free. It's for the taken. Right. And it's good, reliable, scientifically right. based information. So, I mean, why would you want to engage when social media is so sometimes, you know, pervasive or negative or whatever we want? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of good things about it, but I'm, I'm just, I think that's an interesting opportunity for uh, industry and uh, partnerships and patient partnerships to think about these things to see how we can get people that are not interested, interested, because eventually that's going to be how we generate more awareness. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really neat when we did, um, you know, for for this uh, patient council that we have just put together for Acromegaly Patient Leadership Council, and then for ones... Yeah, let's talk about that. Tell me about that. For ones that we'll do in the future, too. So I was saying that um, we worked through an existing... Acromegaly support group already just for them to share information amongst their members so it wasn't necessarily us soliciting mm-hmm. but um, kind of mentioning hey we would like to do this and so they reached out and said if anyone kind of explained what we were trying to do and if anybody was interested um, you know kind of raise their hand and I, I was really shocked at the number of responses that we got mm-hmm. I mean I thought it was great that you had people automatically who wanted to who wanted to interact and partner with a pharmaceutical company um, and and really share their input mm-hmm. um, and help us. And when part of the things that we'll you know, be doing um, will be sharing, whether it's designing future clinical trials. Um, you know, one of the things that we will do is, um, you know, our, our medical team, our medical directors and chief medical officer, um, Chris Cook and then uh, Chief Medical Officer Dr. Alan Krasner mm-hmm. will they will be involved in kind of designing our clinical trials. What do we medically need to have in the clinical trial um, that we can show efficacy and safety? And we partner with regulatory. There's a lot of different people that go into helping design what a clinical trial should look like. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, there is what does it look like for the patient, right? So, how many visits does the patient have to make? to the clinical trial site. Um, when they're at that visit, what is actually being done? So uh, oftentimes they might have to answer a quality of life survey and how, how is that done? Is that, are they reading it and then filling it out or is it online or is there an app? Um, yeah. What's the easiest way? Well, they need to look at blood. How many tubes of blood need to be drawn? I mean, how long will their visit be? Those types of things um, will actually work through our um, 
our patient leadership council so that um, we can make sure that even in a small sample that we're getting feedback. Yeah, you have um, input. That does, yeah, we have input. Does this, does this seem like a reasonable ask? Mm-hmm. Or if not, and the other thing too is what else do you what else do you find valuable in terms of measurement? So yes, we will have a, you know, a, a biomarker looking at for acromegaly, IGF-1. Um, you know, when we look at hyperinsulinism, we'll look at insulin levels or look at glucose levels, things like that. So we'll always have a marker. But again, in so many of my conversations that I've had with patients, they're more than a marker, mm-hmm. right? They're more than a lab value. Mm-hmm. And so what types of things are meaningful to them? What types of things would they like to have measured um, that would that would actually send signals to the patient themselves that they were improving or, you know, or that they feel better? So different things like that mm-hmm. that we'll, we'll hopefully incorporate into our trials. Well, I think it's really cool that you're thinking about a leader, a patient council yeah. for input. You know? Yeah. So it's, I mean, I get super fantastic. excited, and yeah. we kind of laugh um, at all of our... No, I don't say laugh, it's the wrong word. Um, but at all of our meetings that, um, you know, we'll be at something and, and they'll all lean down at the table and say, Stephanie, what do the patients think? Yeah, you yeah. Know? I mean, and that is, that's a great thing yeah. to happen, right? Yeah. That um, because... So you're the p- chief patient officer. I'm the chief patient officer. <laughs> that, um, yeah, that when everyone is... But it's it's such a wonderful thing that you have everyone at the company that already thinks that way too. Yeah, I'm yeah. not having to beat down you to doors. Sell, you don't have to sell the idea. No, and saying, Everybody's hey, there. don't forget, we're worried about the patient here. Mm-hmm. This is who's, you know, really everyone here, they want patient input. We yeah. want to make sure that we're putting out a product. And even if it's something as for clinical trial design, um, if it's a, a protocol or a paper that explains what the patient needs to, what all the site visits will look like, is this understandable to patients? Mm-hmm. Is this in, you know, the language, does that seem correct? Yeah. And so, so all, everything. So let's talk a little bit about barriers and challenges. What, what does those look like in your world of patient involvement um, ad, um, advocacy? Yeah, I think um, sometimes with rare disease, the, the the primary barrier might be is kind of access to all patients. Mm-hmm. So how often are patients all kind of in the same place to be able to interact with um, uh, and and gain insight from, yeah. right? How do you have those conversations if you are not in front of people? So yeah. um, when there are meetings and things like that, it's nice to be able to have those just real genuine conversations. Um, I think, two, we are um, a global company, so we're doing studies um, across, you know, Europe and here in the U.S. as well. And so in Europe, we have some language barriers. Mm-hmm. So, um, so are, you, are you doing the same thing with patient consults around Europe? So or? we may. We've kind okay. of started with, um, because we don't have as much of a, a, we don't have a language barrier here in the U.S., and so we've started there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, we will work with also European groups as well to make sure that, um, kind of cross-check what we're getting yeah. before we make any big decisions sure. and make sure that this is something that, that seems to make sense. Um, but that is something that um, we couldn't do something, you know, 
across Europe yeah. because we have a language oh, barrier sure. and that just makes yeah, it more difficult. Micro issues. Right. So, And then also there are some different rules of patient engagement um, yes. in Europe versus here in the U.S. I mean, when we, I should mention, when we have our patient leadership council um Everything that is shared within our company is all done so it's de-identified information. Mm -hmm. So um, we're not sharing anything specific from one patient. Yeah. It's an aggregate. It's just an aggregate. Right. Yeah. And so this is the patient leadership council shared these things. Yeah. And so nothing's attributed to any one patient. Um, and so, you know, that is that's important. And yeah. in terms of um I think the other thing that originally I thought would be a bigger barrier would be um, the perception that maybe pharma was was bad or a pharmaceutical company was was bad or yeah, a big yeah. conglomerate yeah. or not personal um, and and so um, you know we're a smaller company and so um, I know we don't have that feel no. where I am at Kinetics yeah. and um, I think that translates when we speak to when I speak to patients and and it is genuine we really want to have them included sure. in everything that we're doing um, I think that resonates and mm -hmm. so I've well, had it's something that you can't package it's either there or it isn't yeah people have, people have a very it's very transparent what I'm saying so you have a sense that this is a engaging company. It's yes, small. and we don't have we to have do, I think here at Kernetics, we're not trying to do everything. I mean, there are certain things that have to be done a certain way because whether it's regulatory or it's science, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you have to be able to, very, sure. it's very meticulous. Um, but just because something's been done a certain way, um, we don't have to go about it the same way, yeah. if that makes any sense. It it's does. A creative, sure. It's a creative company, so we can do things creatively to make sure that we, um, you know, we just want to make sure that we've got the interest mm -hmm. of the patient. So I can have the most fun job here. Stay tuned for our upcoming podcast in this fascinating series on drug development. This is an exclusive podcast from Pituitary World News. I'm Jorge Fascinetti. Thanks for listening.